Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, earlier on in the program, Daniel Menzel, we were talking about John Casey as being the voice of basketball and the fact that he is calling his 1,000th game tonight. It's an incredible achievement, 1,000 Staggering games. achievement. And he joins us. It's an absolute pleasure to have him on to help celebrate the milestone. John, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, thanks very much for having me, Adam. Good to be with you, Dan, as well. There's a bit of a thrill because he is the voice of basketball. I've always loved uh, listening to him call a game of basketball. John, how, how did we know that it was a 1,000? Do you keep count or did someone tell you that it was a 1,000? Well, look, I keep my game notes from every game that I've done. Oh, wow. And uh, sort of... Along the way, and that was, um, you know, just for research more than anything else. And it sort of evolved over a period of time. The, the first games that I did it with uh, were quite rudimentary, and um, there wasn't a lot of information there. But I just found that scribbling things down and scoring runs and scores during quarters and so forth helped me with the commentary. So it sort of evolved from there, and I got to a stage where I started to put on uh, what game and the season it was that I was calling. And then I decided to go back one day and start adding them up. And from then, so it's just I got into the habit of writing down the, on each score sheet that I use when I'm calling a game, uh, what game it is during the season and what game it is uh, overall. And um, it uh, rounds up to a, a thousand tonight. So uh, it's been uh, it's been quite a journey, but um, one that I thoroughly enjoyed. It's uh, an absolute privilege, as you guys would know, doing commentary work. Uh, you generally sit in the best seat in the house and they pay you to be there. And what's not to like about that? No, that is exactly right. So can you remember how long it was since you called your first game of basketball? Notwithstanding the fact that you've called sport across so many different sports uh, over a long and, and, and celebrated career. But from a basketball perspective, what, what was number one? Would have been back in 1987 when I was working with Channel 7, who had the rights to the NBL back when I started. And in TV, I'd previously been working uh, in newspapers in Adelaide and Melbourne and in Broken Hill, where I'm from originally. And when I moved into television to do sports reporting for Channel 7, they had the rights to the NBL. And they said, well, look, we better get you on to uh, the coverage there and learn the ropes as well in case someone's uh, not available and we need to throw you into it. So go down to Apollo Stadium. And it was it was a real eye-opener for me because uh, those in Adelaide would know that Apollo Stadium, uh, by today's standards, was... Uh, you know, it was, it was a little bit tight for room and there was always a big crowd there. The 36ers were the hottest ticket in town. They'd gone through the previous season as champions and 24-2 and two and the place was rocking. It was a hell of a noise. And the only seat they had for the courtside commentator 
was to sit on the end of the Adelaide bench. So I was basically in the, the 13th seat on the bench. I was sitting next to Scott Ninnis, who's now coaching the 36ers. He was in his second year. And next to him was Mike Mackay, another young gun who had, uh, who had just started to make their way in the NBL. And uh, it was almost as if I was part of the team because I was the Adelaide commentator. They sort of uh, embraced me and uh, treated me as a, a member of the team. So every time Adelaide had score in a tight game, Scott Ninnis would have his had me even a headlock or punching me in the leg and getting really pumped up because he was about to go on and uh, just the experience of that, I thought, how good is this? It's almost uh, it's almost as good as being out there yourself. And given that I started uh, playing just about every sport there was coming from a small country town like Broken Hill, and I quickly realised that I wasn't going to get too far with my sporting talent. The next best thing to be involved in sport was to be a sports journalist if I could. And uh, that's where it all started. And uh, yeah, those first that first season at Apollo Stadium with the Adelaide 36ers, uh, I certainly can remember it all. Case, congratulations on the thousand games. It's an incredible milestone, and I think it's fitting as well that you mentioned that story about the 36ers and Scott Ninnis and the thousand games falls on a 36ers home game tonight against the Sydney Kings. Is there one game that's more memorable to you out of those thousand? Look, uh, there's there's a few that really stick out, and I think it's because of the um, you know the success was built around those games, and probably the first one was the 2006 uh, World Championship that the Australian Opals won. Uh, we called the game um, off tube in Sydney, um, and the Australians took you know it was our first ever gold medal, and still our only at the uh, senior level for basketball. And uh, it was just an amazing, um, an amazing result for them. And even though we were a long way away in another country uh, calling the game, to be actually part of that and the success and, you know, what it meant for Australian basketball at that stage, that was certainly memorable. And more recently, the bronze medal win by the, the Boomers in Tokyo was another one that obviously for many reasons and, uh, you know, what had happened in previous Olympics when we'd been so close and finished fourth so many times and had heartbreak in Rio over the last second call that went against us and all those type of things for them to finally get across the line and to see what it meant the emotion that it brought out in Andrew Gaze and Andrew Bogart who were sitting alongside me in the commentary booth um, you know was just unbelievable and it's interesting isn't it that the two games that I I go to initially are both games where we weren't even at the venue we were just calling um, you know from from uh, the tube, calling off the tube as we do. But um, And also, the other game which I was at, perhaps, um, that really sticks out is Australia defeating the United States in 2019 in, in front of 52,000-plus yes. at Marvel Stadium. Just to see basketball on that stage, to see the support from the Australian public with that crowd, uh, you know, perhaps it's going to be the biggest crowd we'll ever have in history. Who knows for how long for basketball in this country and to finally beat the United States, um, you know, that, that meant so much to basketball people here and to be part of that uh, as well and to be there and to, to share in that um, in a small way, uh, certainly memorable games. I guess in terms of NBL games, uh, one that I'll always remember, in fact, uh, involves John Rilly, the now coach of the Perth Wildcats, who back in 1997 was playing for the Adelaide 36ers and they were in Brisbane. Uh, it was a week before the finals, but both teams needed to win to make the finals almost and and John really hit an unbelievable clutch three from the corner with two seconds left on the clock. They thought they'd actually won the game. He hit the three. They started celebrating. The 36 were halfway off the court. The referees called them back on and said, no, wait a minute. There's still a couple of seconds on the clock here. We're going to have to restart. So they scrambled to get ready. 
Brisbane inbounded the ball, and I think the Brisbane score bench may have uh, neglected to actually press the button on the start of the clock uh, for a moment or two. And they worked the ball up the court, and Steve Woodbury hit the most remarkable shot you've ever seen in your life from the opposite corner for Brisbane to win the game for Brisbane. And it was it was two uh, almost match-winning shots in the same uh, in the same night, and uh, one that uh, I'll never forget, particularly the disappointment of the Adelaide 36ers, who went on to miss finals by one game uh, that season, and Brisbane actually played in the finals. So uh, the ecstasy and the agony can be so close uh, when you're at a sporting event, as you would know. It certainly can. In case we can hear your passion coming through as you're talking about it, it's, it's elite. And so on that, tonight's game, the 36ers, the take on the Sydney Kings, it's always an electric atmosphere at Adelaide Entertainment Centre. Do you give the 36ers a real shot at winning this one? I really do, you know, and if you look at it on form, Adelaide the defeating Melbourne, the, the latter leaders last week, and Sydney are really struggling at the moment. They've got all sorts of problems. So, you know, I'm a little bit surprised that the bookmakers have got Sydney as favourites because I think Adelaide certainly uh, are looking the stronger of the two at the moment. But it, it's going to be an outstanding game. There's so much riding on this, and, and that's the beauty of the, the NBL. It's so close. As I mentioned, Adelaide are on the bottom, beat the top team last week. Now they're up against the two-time reigning champions and going in, with so much to play for, with Scott Ninnis trying to get wins, so he uh, is in the frame for the head coach's job moving forward. And, of course, with Sydney, well, they're looking to keep their season alive, and their coach, uh, Mahmoud Abdel-Fattah, he really needs a win to try and keep his job at the moment. The, the uh, knives apparently are coming out for him, and the Kings are always under pressure being one of the major franchises in the NBL. So uh, not just for the win tonight, but so many other reasons, um, you know, bigger picture reasons. It should be an outstanding game, and really have to take uh, your hat off to the Adelaide fans here as well. It hasn't been a great year. They're on the bottom of the ladder and they're chasing down a fourth consecutive sellout of near 10,000 at the Adelaide Entertainment Centre. So uh, full credit to the fans for keeping their support up for the Adelaide 36 and there's no doubt that's helped them get across the line in a couple of games. So, John, there's been this renaissance in the sport in this country uh, over the last two or three years at least, maybe even a few more years than that. But when we go back to the the late 80s, early 90s, certainly the late 80s with the North Melbourne Giants and Scott Fisher and there was uh, James Crawford and Derek Rucker and all these household names, Phil Smythe, are are we back at those levels from a point of view of interest but also quality or is that still the the golden era in your time? And, of course, who can forget Andrew Gaze, Leonard Copeland, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, no. Look, it has. Uh, it's had been a roller coaster, like most sports. You have your peaks and troughs. It's a very good point that you make, and a great question. It's it's really hard to compare the, the different eras, but there's no doubt in my mind that you know I was lucky enough to be around in the formative years of the NBL. And Leroy Loggins, to me, is still yep. the greatest player ever in the competition. He's just got Bryce Cotton at the moment, and only because of longevity. Uh, Leroy played 21 seasons, and only you know he averaged 15 or more every year, bar one. Um, Bryce has done, you know, has, has matched him in many areas, but he's only done it for eight. So I've got Leroy just ahead as the greatest ever, and Al Green scoring 71 in a game. And you mentioned James Crawford, the Alabama slammer. He was my yeah. favourite player because he could elevate and dunk just from a standing start. He didn't need a run up, he would grab a rebound and he would just launch himself. He was so athletic and so exciting. And I think that quality of player, you know, that really encapsulated basketball in this country and it forced the Australian talent to get better and rise to that standard. So we saw Andrew Gaze and 
you know, the likes of Damien Keogh and Wayne Carroll, who went to the Olympics, and more recently Mike Mackay, and mentioned Gaze and Heal and all those type of players, and Joe Ingalls. And it, it's sort of been, they've had to elevate their level, and now we've got the sta- to the stage where the youngsters from here go straight to college and into the NBA. That's how good it is. It is one of the best leagues in the world. Um, certainly, take nothing away from some of the previous greats that we've had. You know, they'd be competitive in any era. But uh, right now, I think basketball is in a really strong place. And it's a credit to Larry Kesselman, um, who took this on when it was at its lowest ebb. And there were talks about shutting the whole competition down. But he's resurrected it with Jeremy Liga at his side and everyone at NBL HQ. And now delivering a product that is world-class, that is attracting world-class athletes and interests from around the world um, to get basketball really where it should be, given the fact that outside of soccer or football, it is the second biggest sport in the world. More than 200 countries are playing it. And Australia are top five in the world if you include men's, women's and our juniors. At every level, we're competitive. And um, you know, basketball being such a massive world sport, I think um, you know it's starting to get the um, the due respect that it deserves here um, because it's things it's really on a on a in a good place at the moment and appears to be tracking in the right direction. So it's those names that you were reeling off before. I mean, they were household names back in that in that period, and you know, I, me personally, basketball was never my my number one sport following growing up. But those names were just they were they were a big deal. Is that still with? Do we still have to get to that level here? Like we, the game is is big. The Wildcats are big. You know, there's no doubt about that. Melbourne United here in Melbourne is big. The Adelaide Thirty Sixers have been around forever, but it's more the teams than the actual individuals. Is 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 that a fair call? Do you think that it's we haven't quite got those those names those those players as the the household names that once was. Yeah, I, I, I tend to think or look at it from the point of view that perhaps we don't have the names here in the NBL, but everyone, basketball fans, not only here in Australia, but around the world, know Josh Giddy. They know Ben Simmons. No, that's fair. That's a good you know, call. Starting, yep. you know, and they're starting to learn about the Jock Landales and Dyson Daniels and Duop Reith and Joe Ingalls has, has made a name for himself uh, through Europe and now in the NBA as well. Um, so I think the names are there now. And yes, they may not be in our domestic competition, but they're getting attention on Australian basketball all around the world. There's probably more people you know, in Europe and the USA that know about Australian basketball than non-basketball fans here in Australia. So uh, while you don't have that figurehead like Andrew Gaze in terms of uh, local talent, I think the talent is now walking the world stage and you know that's delivering for Australian basketball in a way that perhaps uh, is not perceived here back home in Australia. Well, we've really enjoyed the chat. The, the one last one I've got for you, and I know you've, you're short of time, so we really appreciate it. Is there a line that you've come up with over the time uh, in a big moment that you've just thought, ah, that's a good one. I'm really happy with that one. You <laughs> drove home uh, and thought, yep, I'm pretty happy with that. That's just perfect. <laughs> you know what there is <laughs> good and it was and it was 17 seconds of silence ah very good absolutely saying nothing and it, it was a game here in adelaide the 36ers who had been down 20 in the game were fighting their way back and they hit the lead with the 
uh, you know, with less than a minute to go. And, you know, it was frantic. The crowd were roaring. It was, it was, I'll never forget. And then Daniel Johnson gets the ball in the corner. And my style of commentary, I always try and finish what I'm saying before the ball misses or goes through the net. And then it, that allows your colour commentator to come in and pick up to make a point about why it happened or why it didn't happen type thing. So I'd made the call and, and, you know, Daniel Johnson's in the corner for three in the lead and it went in and the crowd erupted. It was like it just went all through my body and everyone that was in the stadium and the other team called time out and the fans just went crazy. And I just thought, I can't add to this. There's nothing I can say. There's no point in me shouting over the top of the noise that's here. Let just everyone at home enjoy it. Because I feel as a commentator, you are the eyes and ears of your viewers or your listeners. And you need to take them there as much as you can. And the only way I could let them be there with me was to let them hear what was going on. I didn't need to add to it. So I was happy just to let it run. And I was working the game with Shane Heal. And, you know, he was experienced enough to... to realized the situation as well so he didn't say a thing and uh, as you guys would know being in the business uh, you know 17 seconds of uh, silence for a commentator feels like about 17 hours and it's almost unheard of but um that w- i was really happy that we were able just to let that and people soak up that atmosphere because um you know as a commentator there was nothing more i could add to that oh that is fantastic because i know of about seven or eight of your calls that i just love and i'm not going to embarrass myself in front of you by uh, reeling them off, particularly because you've got such a, <laughs> a great voice, but there's so many I could r- rattle off of yours. So congratulations <laughs> on the on the thousand tonight. And I genuinely hope there's many more because I think you are really important to, to basketball in this country, to sporting this country, because when you're calling it, it makes the sport sound that little bit more special. So congratulations. No, I really appreciate your kind words, and thanks very much for your support as well. It's um, it's a real privilege to be involved at this level, and uh, yeah, let's hope it continues for a while yet. John, John Casey, a thousand games of basketball tonight.